and they're walking their dog, but I could tell it was a puppy just from the, the way it was carrying itself and it was kind of energetic, but it was missing one of its hind legs. And I initially, I felt really bad for it. I'm just like, man, that fucking sucks. Like it just hurts my heart, you know, to see stuff like that. Mm, like I wonder right, what, right. what injury happened. Mm-hmm. But then I was just kind of thinking like the rest of my drive to work, why do I feel bad for it? The dog looked very happy. Like the dog was just like living its life, you know, and right, right. for all I know, it could have been born like that. And it just never knew what it was like to have four legs. Right. I think what's cool about it is you got to think about it. I think that's, that's what's most important now is you could have felt that way about it, but you didn't. And I think what's better now is the fact that you got to really sit with it, sit with those thoughts. And, and now that, th- now that dog is so much, so much more important because it set the tone for you going forward, where if you ever see a dog like that again, you're going to think like, oh, that dog's living its best life. I think that that's like somebody gave it a home and is loving it despite its deformity, despite its whatever it's gone on beforehand. And I think that that's a that's a win, too. Yeah, I, I like to think of it that way. Like it looked like the, the owner is just, you know, taking him out for a nice leisure morning walk. And the dog was super excited to go on that walk. So, mm-hmm. yeah. This is actually an interesting episode because of the fact that we're recording in the same location for the first time. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you took over the studio and then I'm uh-huh. I'm in my, my third office. The second office is the bathroom, of course. Of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. We had dinner first, you know, and then yeah, yeah. we're like, all right, let's hop in an episode. Wined and dined. One of the things I was a little self-conscious of because I know this has happened to me going over to someone's place, but you just kind of wonder, like, are they going to see something embarrassing or something embarrassing going to happen? I've been to a friend's house before where I was sitting at the dining table. I think my friend was in the kitchen cooking and we're just chatting, you know? Yeah. And then next thing I know, I just see this roach like crawl up the tablecloth and it's like on the table. And I just I'm like glaring at it from the corner of my eye and I'm I'm just tracing it right as, as it's <laughs> no. walking around. And no. it, it's like one of those brown cricket looking roaches. So not as disgusting as the black ones. I'll say those are probably like the least disgusting out of all of the brethren. But needless to say, it kind of gave me a different uh feel and impression about going over to their place yeah yeah you're like uh, don't don't find anything like that our apartments here I, I think the apartments are pretty nice and clean but man we have the nastiest roaches that you will ever find on planet earth they're Oof. like these these giant red ones and i've only ever seen them at this apartment and i've been to some janky apartments but these are like the exotic spawns of satan oh my gosh and they they have wings and shit ew luckily we're on the third floor so they kind of have to travel a good distance to get to us but i can only imagine the people on the first floor if you even crack your door a little bit you'll probably get one just looming yeah i mean they have pest control and stuff come but i don't know i feel like they're resistant to it they're like they're building (laughs) an they shrug it off yeah they (laughs) shrug it off they're like (laughs) that's cute yeah, that's uh, dude. It at my old apartment, we had a we had a situation where yeah, someone uh, roommate moved in for a bit, and uh, they had had a problem with roaches before they left their place, and we were like, well, hopefully you left them, you know, back there. But Over there, yeah. I I think they nested in their furniture, and uh, we used we used that furniture, and then all of a sudden we just had this problem with roaches, and then it, yeah, it was bad. It was we had pest control, which was cool. Like we had pest control come by, but. Um, but they never went in. I don't know if they really went inside our apartments. I think they went, they sprayed on the outside. 
typically, but maybe maybe we did spray on the inside. Yo, we mobbing it. We mobbing it. Let's do it. How you doing, everybody? Welcome to Affliction Hours Podcast, episode 23. My name is Eric, and the other voice occupying your head this time is a man of many trades, good friend, colleague, and co-host, Michael. Hola. Thank you to all the listeners out there for joining us. The show is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Hey. We're also on YouTube at Affliction Autos Podcast, so go check us out there. As always, new episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, 5 a.m. Pacific. This is a monthly podcast where we primarily talk about films that range from mind-numbing to mind-blowing. Sometimes we also cover TV shows or other forms of media. Of course, we will be getting into spoilers here, and there will be only the healthiest amount of expletives tossed in. You have been warned. Mm -hmm. If you ain't ready, then get ready, because in this episode, we will be discussing the awesome, action-packed drama. Some people might know this as uh, simply The Professional, but I believe the official title now is a combination of the international version and the american version so it's now called leon colon the professional released in 1994 directed by luc besson besson also famous for the fifth element yes and uh, there was one more recently released i forget which what that one was i think uh uh cara Delevingne was in it and uh oh yeah valerian valerian i still never i never did get around to see it and once it, it left theaters i was like it's uh it was okay okay it okay. wasn't that That's great yeah I, I got like halfway through and it was honestly it was just kind of boring it was just this cgi spectacle but didn't feel like it had much substance in my opinion uh that's uh that's unfortunate yeah especially especially when you juxtapose that with the movie we're going to discuss tonight mm -hmm. um which is just so poof there's just there's so many layers uh to this movie um and the performances themselves I, how did he get this cast i mean what the hell it's phenomenal were they all like like huge names at this time i know natalie Portman no, wasn't but certainly not no certainly not at least not in the at least with and as regards um jean Reno, uh he was uh he may have been famous in the in in uh europe but yeah, actually, you know, now that I think about it. So getting into the background of The Professional, it is somewhat of a spiritual successor to one of Basant's earlier films, huh. Nikita. Interesting. So Interesting. that one came before. And uh, Jean Renaud plays a similar type of character. So Basant described Leon as as sort of like a uh, like maybe an American cousin to the character he played in Nikita, whose name was Victor. And I actually saw this clip. So I, I saw his introduction in that movie. It was just like a, a quick, like couple minute scene on YouTube. It's very similar to the intro on The Professional. So I was like, okay. Ah. He was more like cold hearted and just like, let's just get shit done. Where I was like, Leon is more, he's more empathetic of people. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Oh, which, which it's his empathy that. It ultimately his undoing in the end if you think of it that way if if but you know we i don't want to i don't want to spoil anything just yet we'll get to that later but um but yeah and there's one more thing too like uh for involving the making of this movie so luke basson's wife at the time stated that the professional was actually inspired by hers and basson's relationship because he met her when she was just 12 years old and then they began dating 
when she was 15. How old was he? He was like 32 at the time. Interesting. That's kind of mirroring what we, the dynamic we see in this movie. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. You know, it's funny. Um, cause now we're, now we're getting into it. We can address that later. Actually. No, I've got thoughts on that. Um, okay. Okay. Put a pin in that. We'll put a pin in that as, uh, as, uh, Walter White would say, <laughs> we'll put a pin in that. Cause I've got some thoughts on it, but, uh, but yeah, no. So, so Leon, the professional calling it that kind of to me a little bit changes it it's almost like so much more emphatic of him whereas especially at the beginning of the movie i mean the whole movie is not just about him it it is and yet it's not because uh you know matilda natalie portman's character is so integral and you get to see her evolve and you get to see her whole experience it's it's a lot about revenge from her perspective and him kind of helping her to to see it through uh reluctantly at first but but he's like you know shit if you're gonna do this you gotta do it right you know and he's gonna he he teaches her as well but um i remember it's so funny i i did see this in theaters dating myself now i did see this in theaters fucking loved it and it was funny because back then we would um my dad would get the la times and (laughs) the uh that same it was that year wasn't it that that the movie speed came out if i'm not mistaken or was it the year prior was with, it uh, yeah keanu reeves and okay. sandra bullock and that was just killer i mean that put keanu reeves back on the map in a way that uh you know i think i don't remember he'd done point break and i know he'd done johnny mnemonic but this this really really put him right back on the map and sandra bullock i think yeah. had, had other parts i know she'd been in the vanishing before so i bring this up because um when we looked up movie time, when you wanted to look up a movie time, you didn't really use the internet. It was still in its infancy at the time. So what we would do is this LA Times paper. My dad would really only get on the weekends. He got he got the Sunday uh, LA Times, and um, <laughs> it would he would open up the calendar section, which was deep in in that thick ass freaking stack of papers. <laughs> oh yeah, it was it was a bunch of movie theaters and their their show times, right? You got it. That's what I'm getting at. Yeah, eventually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you would you could just look up your area. So you could go by region or whatever, and we would look up where we lived, and um, which at the time I think was like San Bernardino or something. So we looked that up mm-hmm. or near there. We would find the times for the different movies and stuff. But you would also have on that same on, on in within those pages uh, when you're looking for movies, you would see movie banners right banner ads for for these movies and i remember we were we were such fans i don't know we might have seen speed twice in theaters and i'm stressing this only because when we saw when dad handed us the paper boys you know take a look me and my brother boys take a look at the you know see what movies we should watch today we were always by the way this whole podcast you know you watched your dad was super super into movies my dad was super into movies whenever we hung out that's what we would do whenever we'd, we we would get uh, to hang out with our dad. I think it was like every other weekend is how it's we passed how down. We you know, out. it's the dynasty. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So even now it's funny. Um, we're, we're seeing movies together again and we're making a point of, of doing that on the weekends. We're trying to at least. Uh, so uh, at any rate, <laughs> so, so we look at the paper and I don't know if it was my brother or me, uh, but we saw that the banner ad for, the professional it said in just these just ridiculous font it was just like so loud it said <laughs> it said it makes speed look like a ride to grandma's house what and really we, and, uh, yeah we said that and we were both like paul and i looked at each other i read it out loud and we both looked at each, or whoever of us read it we looked no at each other way. we were like 
dad, we got to see this one. <laughs> if it looks, if it makes speed look like a ride to grandma's house, we got to, we got to see this one. And so, yeah, so he was like, I'm, he's all, he's all for it. Yeah. We would, we watched Desperado around that same time too. So we were like, oh, yeah, gung ho. So we, mm. we go to see this movie. And so I have a different relationship um, than anybody who might see this movie after the fact, anybody who's listening to our podcast that, that might have seen it now as, as someone who's older. When I saw the movie at that time, I think I was maybe nine years old or so. So I think Natalie Portman was like four, four years old. You're than probably me. like just barely in the perfect demographic for this movie. Action movie, badass action movie, action badass, hero, exact yeah. badass action hero. Like to me, Jean Reno can do no wrong. That guy is phenomenal. I know he did Ronin, and you know, honestly, he did he did another. Uh, what was it? He was in um, he was in Mission Impossible, the first one, and yeah. such a fucking bummer of a performance. I was like, he's so much more capable than this, and I just felt like he didn't get much of a bone thrown his way. Ronin, of course, really did allow him to do a little bit more, which I'm happy about. But you know, it's like this performance alone is just it it's up there it, it, it's it's perennial i i love this movie it's fantastic but again there's this i i had this crush on natalie portman from that age i was just nice. enamored i was enamored of her i was like wow and she was so just the gravitas she brought to that role i was like it was incredible i felt it i i, I mean i might have cried in the movie even i don't remember but I just remember. I just remember just being so swept up in how badass Jean Reno was, mm -hmm. but also or Leon, and how 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 um, sassy, how cool, how how um, street smart uh, Natalie Portman was. She was in, in yeah. this role. It was so good. Just just uh, yeah, just really thinking on her feet really quickly, especially at the end when they when they when they sneak and and they catch her and everything, and and how she figures out what to do to <laughs> to like let let leon know that the that it's bad and i guess since we're talking about the characters we can just run down the uh the main characters really quick so jean renault as leon of course the title character i i guess similar to this movie because this movie is a a french movie it's like french american i believe i think oh. it was it was it was kind of like produced on in both countries but uh jean renault um i think he he definitely was more prominent in europe and uh, he's a, f a spanish french actor hmm. and uh he he was in such films as like you said mission impossible one which was where i first saw him and oh. it, it, it's actually kind of funny because you were you were saying how that role didn't do him justice yeah that was my introduction to jean renault and i we're not going to spoil anything in that movie, but I feel like just in the the screen time he had in that movie, I'm trying to put my finger on what it is about him, but there was just something unique and captivating about his performance to me in that movie. <laughs> you can tell he just exuded charisma uh, just naturally as an actor. I really appreciated his his role and just him as an actor just from that movie. And hmm. I didn't see The Professional until much later. Um, I guess before I get into that, he was he was also in Godzilla, that stupid Gojira. movie. Gojira. Is that <laughs> yeah. the one with the is that the one with Matthew Broderick? Yep, that's the one. Oh, the corny one. He was also in Rollerball, The Pink Panther, and The Da Vinci Code. But uh, none of those I was really like super into as a kid, including the professional. So as a kid, I remember seeing the box art and, and like it didn't have the cool kind of Godfather-esque 
cover that it has now where it's like black and white with like the high contrast where it's where he's where he's looking up yeah yeah and he has like his, his and he's got his the beanie cap. on yeah his beanie and like yeah. the glasses so i like that cover way better but the original art it was i remember it was like really like oversaturated it was just like a bunch of muddy colors just like mixing into each other and it just said like the professional with like i think like the crosshairs in the o or something and it looks super generic this the title at that time sounded super generic i can appreciate the title now I didn't see this movie until much later through good word of mouth. I saw it a little bit after high school and I was fucking blown away. I think I initially went in, obviously by that point I had seen a few Natalie Portman movies and I was like big crush on Natalie Portman. She's gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then I heard this was her, her first role and she did great. So that was a big selling point. But then I forgot Jean Reno was in it. So I, I was like, Oh shit. I was like, yeah, that's the dude from mission impossible. Sick. (laughs) And he was even better in this one, way better. And like, I can't say enough good things about his role in the professional. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, obviously moving over to Natalie Portman as Matilda, she's done so many well-known movies but just to name a few star wars prequels of course um she was actually in heat briefly just like a little uh crossover all right a crossover she was a a quick cameo she was in closer which dope movie love that movie oh oh, oh, such a good movie but wow you gotta be mentally prepared for that one it it takes you through the ringer for sure emotionally you you will you will come out differently not unlike this movie you you will leave the, the the movie feeling just different feeling something you'll be changed you'll, you'll be changed so many different emotions way. yeah I, I think closer is definitely one that a lot of people overlook v for vendetta of course you know that, that was a big one because i think that was like when she shaved her head and so it was like a dramatic look for her right i never did see that one I should, it's a good movie yeah, i mean bro. hugo weaving is a fucking fantastic actor and for once he actually plays <laughs> not the villain <laughs> He's the Hugo hero. Weaving. Yeah. It's not ringing a bell. What? What's he? Oh, in? he's uh, Agent Smith from The Matrix. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. Okay. But yeah, going back to Natalie, um, she was also in Black Swan. Fucking trippy ass movie. Also haven't seen that one. I need to. Yeah. Definitely go see. <laughs> see that, that's a good one. Um, okay. I think another sleeper. Brenda and I actually own this one. And I think it's fucking hilarious. It's a stoner flick. Your Highness. Have you heard of that what? one? Your Highness. It, Danny McBride mm. and uh, James Franco alongside Natalie Portman. No, what? Dude, no, like those two, uh, James Fr- Danny, McBride. Danny McBride and James Franco, they fucking play so well off of each other. But it, 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 So <laughs> think of a stoner flick, but like in a high fantasy setting. It's hilarious. Uh, okay, okay. It, interesting, interesting. And then... Oh, Speaking of great actors, oh, fucking gosh. Gary Oldman, man, as Norman Stansfield. Oh my Let's gosh. be real. The guy needs no introduction. Genius. genius. <laughs> the man is a genius. And in my opinion, one of the best actors I've ever seen, like to date. Hands down. Hands down. Hands down. Guy's am- amazing. Um, Very versatile himself. Yeah. For sure. Very versatile. And so, you know, we'll probably get into this later. Uh, just. His ad, his ad living. Oh, there's there's a scene that we are going to have to elaborate on, and you know which one I'm talking about. We're, we're oh, gonna get to of course, that I'm I'm alluding to it myself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but uh, his 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 performance. You you think about a movie, and uh, when I was in high school, I read this book by uh, Robert McKee called Story. 
uh, anybody listening to this perhaps may have already heard of. At the time, it had just been released when I was in high school, but basically it was a screenwriting book. It was, it was written by this James uh, Robert McKee. What he said in it made so much sense to me, but the movie, a movie is only as good as its villain. A movie is only as good as its villain. It, it has to be challenging for the protagonist to overcome the antagonist. And to the extent that it succeeds in that regard, think of Dark Knight, right? That's the, it will, it will, it'll make or break the movie. If you make him too charismatic, like say uh, uh, another movie that I think we've talked about doing as well, um, um, uh, Cyberpunk, um, Blade Harrison Ford, Blade yeah. Runner, precisely Blade Runner. You make them too charismatic. You make them too the antagonist. Yeah, if you make them too charismatic, then it kind of swings the other way, and you kind of were like, well, who should I be rooting for? Because <laughs> you, it's tough. Rector Hauer has an amazing performance in that movie, but. As I was saying, um, Gary Oldman is such a fucking badass bad guy in this movie. Unlike, I'm mean, just wow. You love it's to hate just, him in this movie. You you do. He's got one of those roles, but and yet he's charming, and that's the craziest shit about it too. You see him at the beginning when you first are introduced to him. He comes into the room and he just starts throwing his weight around. But he's, he's kind of a creep too. But like you you're still. You can't help but be captivated by his performance. Right, right. He does he does this merciless thing at the very beginning of the movie. And and afterwards is just so calm about it. Speaking of the beginning of the movie, dude, the opening scene of the professional, I love the way that they did this because they're slowly introducing the title character. So all you see is just this conversation happening, right, at this table someone's smoking a cigarette mm-hmm. someone has like a glass of milk and then they're like discussing business and you, you just see like a super close-up of like his his sunglasses you know and you can see the reflection and everything mm-hmm. slant he downs the milk and he like slams it and he's just like all right i'm gonna go take care of it mm-hmm. and so you're just kind of thinking like who the fuck is this guy like this guy's drinking milk and he's supposed to be some badass. Okay. We'll see how badass he actually is. (laughs) And then the, the slow reveal, this is almost kind of reminiscent of like a Batman movie where the lights go out and then people are like getting creeped out and they're like, they're getting picked off, you know, like in the hallways. Yeah. You just see like an arm pop up and he like pulls the guy over the railing and he like plummets to his death. And this other guy gets like strung up. Like he gets hanged through with like a wire and piano. And this whole time you have no idea who this Leon guy is. He's just like taking out guys effortlessly Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. after just downing that milk. And the main bad guy, dude, uh, the big guy, he's, he's all freaking out. He's losing his shit. And, (laughs) <laughs> there's like even that that point where they have this protective screen this like metal sheet that covers the window and they just start like blasting right. through it and after they're done shooting you, you see the silhouette kind of walk by and then it's like leon's like peeking through one of the bullet holes and so they're like oh, oh my gosh shit. yeah yeah <laughs> I, I even love the way that they did the part where the fat guy he's trying to call the police right and they, they place him on hold. And then, like, you just see, like, that knife, like, stick out of the shadows and, like, just position under his neck. Yeah. His face, like, oh, peeks out of the shadow. Gosh. I love it. Behind, right, exactly. Just over his shoulder. I loved everything about the opening. It was fucking perfect. Oh, electric. Oh, dude. Elect- absolutely. <laughs> and all he wanted to do, he just wanted to talk to him. He makes him hang That's up all. the phone. And, he, and, and this is a, a foreshadowing as well because he holds a piece of paper and he's like, dial this. And so he dials the number and he talks to the guy that Leon was discussing business with um, that you don't know either. Basically says like, hey, 
what is it like you're um interfering with my business right like we can't we can't be having you on my turf leon basically intimidates him into leaving town immediately and never coming back i I like it too because it's like a nice combination of mystery but action at the same time and it's not over the top action this isn't like michael bay Mm -hmm. stuff this is subtle like you know he's 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 taking guys out efficiently he's not going in there guns blazing like it's not like the matrix scene you know in the lobby where he's just like yeah mowing everyone down now that you know who leon is what he looks like you see what he's like outside of the job and so leon is is actually he's very much a stoic man living in little italy a broke down apartment in New York city. And, you know, he relaxes milk. Like he, he's coming back from the grocery store and he, he even has like milk, you know, in his grocery bag and everything. And we find out that he's in quotes, a cleaner. It's like a slang term for a hitman. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He works for the Italian restaurant owner, Tony. And then this is the same time that we are introduced to Matilda. And, you know, she's the the lonely 12-year-old who lives in the same apartment building as Leon. And we find out that she has a highly dysfunctional family. They kind of know each other. They almost have this rapport where they don't really speak to each other, but they, like, mm-hmm. acknowledge each other. Right. She's like, I think when he sees her this time, <clears throat> when, he, when, we see, when we see them interact for the first time, she's smoking a cigarette, mm-hmm. right? She's sitting on the, her legs are dangling off of the, uh, of that, that floor landing or whatever. Mm-hmm. Even just that that first scene, you know, it kind of shows you what her character is about because it shows that she's a little rebellious, you know, and, yeah. and you don't really know why. Like, you're just kind of like, oh, is she kind of like a troublemaker? But she actually tries to hide the cigarette, you know, when she sees Leon walk up. So right. I wonder if she thinks right. that he's going to tell on her or if she, she, I don't know, maybe she's uh, impressed him. Like, her real self is smoking the cigarette, but when he walks up, she's just like, oh, wait, you know, I got to be on my best behavior type of thing. Right. She doesn't want him to see that. Hmm. And obviously, you know, he's not dumb. He sees it, but he doesn't really interact with anyone. He just minds his own business. So, yeah, he's just like, I'm not going to say anything. Not my daughter, not my friend. I'm just going to my apartment. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Man, so we are introduced to Matilda's family now. So we kind of see a little bit of um, what Leon's about. And now we're going to see what Matilda's about. She has a pretty fucked up family. They all treat her like shit. It's it's actually pretty sad. So right, I think right. the only one that's really physically abusive is the dad, but I think the sister is is emotionally abusive. Mm, right, the one who's like working out in her bedroom and all that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if that is that her full sister or is that like a I half don't sister? remember. I don't, yeah, they don't look very similar because the mom is a is her stepmom. Right. From my understanding. Okay, so that could be it. And but the thing is, it's important to note that she has a younger brother. So I think the sister and the young brother. They kind of look similar, so I think they might be full. And then Matilda is kind of like the the middle child, like the black sheep, and she she definitely stands out. But she has a very different relationship with her younger brother than she does with her older sister. Mm-hmm. So she's very protective and loving of her younger brother, and her brother loves her back. You know, he's not he's not a little asshole. Yeah, like he, he's a sweet little boy. I, it's, yeah, it seems like they have a cool relationship. We find out that the father is is kind of in some some shady ass shit going on, you know? <laughs> so he's, he's kind of involved in, in drugs and he works for this sketchy looking group of individuals who we don't really know a lot about yet, but we know that, uh, they mean bad business, you know, like they, they're not there to have a good time. They're there to, uh, threaten him. And they have this hunch that we gave you a certain amount of cocaine. And when you gave it back to us, 
it was a different amount. So where's the rest of it? Right. Well, the dad swears that he gave him everything and they keep accusing him of stealing. But I think the audience, I think we as audience members, don't we also haven't we been clued in as well? I think he can, there's a, there's dialogue going on as she's walking through the apartment. There's there's yelling when when she was outside with the cigarette and she sees Leon pass by. There's arguing between her parents and all sorts of commotion. But when she comes in and she's kind of going through the rooms, I think you're overhearing her dad say to the mom that he had actually shaved some. And I, I don't know if she was concerned. I forget I forget where, whether she was concerned or not, but I just remember that I think he had admitted it. So then when the scene's happening, you're going, oh shit, he's been outed. He thought he was so smart. He thought he was so smart. He was going to make another profit, make more profit off of this. The sketchy individuals that are asking for the drugs back, they're led by a sharply dressed and quite frankly, strange Norman Stansfield. He has his uh, his AirPods in. He has his earbuds in, <laughs> and you know he's listening to music. Oh, right, and, like a Walkman back in the day. Yeah, the legit. Walkman. And he's kind of just letting his his lieutenant, you know, kind of like conduct the business. They actually step outside away from the family so they can conduct business, and that's where they're accusing the dad of stealing the drugs. So yeah, now we're introduced to Stansfield and. This guy's fucking weird because he's like sniffing the dad and he's like all up in his face. Right. You know, he's in his personal space and he looks way different and acts different from the rest of the crew. You mm-hmm. know, like they're already kind of an eccentric bunch, but Stansfield, I don't know. He's just he's really out there. He He's really quirky in his own right. He is. You know, he he's very expressive with his face, of course. And uh, yeah, they basically tell him, all right, well. We don't believe you, so you have until this time tomorrow to get us the rest of the drugs. That's right. Or else. That's right. But unfortunately for them, it seems like the dad kind of calls their bluff. And uh, yeah, it doesn't go well. So yeah, the next day, <laughs> I think now as Leon's coming back to his apartment, he sees that Matilda's in the hallway again, kind of in this, this similar spot. But now she has a black eye. Does she have a black eye? She, like she has like a bloody nose. Yeah, so he gives her a little handkerchief. To kind of wipe her nose and you know she's she's just like man is life always this shitty and man was just like yeah <laughs> like doesn't even try to sugarcoat he's just like yep uh-huh. <laughs> yeah chin up kid <laughs> it's only gonna get worse mm-hmm. what's actually cool about this is matilda offers to buy leon milk because she's like she's she's getting ready to go to go downstairs to the grocery store the little corner market she offers to buy leon milk you know as he as he's walking to his apartment and it shows two things. It shows a sign of gratitude. Like she, she's thankful for him giving her the handkerchief so she can kind of clean herself up. Mm-hmm. But it also shows that she studies him as he walks by. Like she, she looks at, she's interested in what, like what kind of shit he go, he gets from the grocery store. And mm-hmm. she always notices the milk kind of sticking up at the top. And so she actually knows a little something about him just from observing him, not even really like talking to him. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. She's observant. He actually takes her up on the offer. I was expecting him to just be like, nah, I'm good. And so, you know, she she's actually kind of giddy. Like, she's like, oh, cool. You yeah. know, I made a friend. Yeah. And so she she's like skipping down the stairs to go uh, get the groceries. As she goes downstairs, the elevator door opens up and those fucking like goons walk out again. Yeah. And like the music changes too. like the whole atmosphere changes at that moment. You know, some bad shit's about to go down. Right. You feel it in your gut. This is a pretty tense scene because they actually show up a little early. So they said until noon the next day. And I, I believe that they showed up a little bit before and they just kicked down the door and like start blasting fools. Like they don't even they don't even try to say like, hey, do you have the drugs yet? Right. Like, I think they already knew in their mind what they were going to do. Right. I mean, well, if he were really 
he would have come to them. I don't know if he, if he were if he were wise, he would have gone to them and given it to them. And they, I guess the assumption is if since he didn't find a way to get it to them before. That's how I could see it as well. I could see it also the same way. Like they're just like, fuck it. We're just going to kill this guy. Annihilate him and his family. Anybody that could possibly, you know. Do you think there's a chance that if he had given it back, would they have still killed him? Or do you think maybe they would have just killed him and not the family? Hard to say. I think I think they would have all been killed anyway because he likes to keep things clean. Uh, uh, Stanley. Stansfield. Stansfield, rather. Yeah, Stansfield. He would, uh, Norman Stanfield, that's right. He would have, I think he just didn't want that um, to, to come into play, ever have somebody try to retaliate against him. So it might, I think he would still have killed them anyway. So maybe you're damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. And like how you're saying before, he's almost like orchestrating. So he, he goes in first. I think Stansfield is like almost single-handedly taking out the entire family, but he's purposely saving the dad for last. You know, he's almost like he wants to draw this out as much as possible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He wants to see his, his family get massacred before he gets taken out. Right. Right. There are two very memorable parts to this massacre. So what did you think of that bathtub kill? I love the cinematography of this. It's like that top down. And then they, they like kick the, the bathroom door open and they're just like, blah, like shotgun blast. And you yes. see the, you see the foam, the foam, right. And it's just the like pink foam, like fly up. Yes. Yes. The water's like leaking out the back. Cause it like breaks the porcelain or whatever. Yeah. Oh, that was a, that was a great shot. Yeah. Just, poof, just, you, you see that Matilda's dad, uh, you know, he, he's just like frozen in the corner of the living room. And then the transition from the kitchen to the living room, you see Stansfield walk through and he's just like, parts it with his hands like, <laughs> so elegantly yeah yeah and i was fucking it, love that like, scene like the, the, yeah yeah those little beads hanging mm-hmm. down and he beads. like fucking mm-hmm. sticks his hands through and like parts the red sea with his hands mm-hmm. essentially and it, it's, it's just like so obnoxious but I, the way that gary oldman does that part that's fucking perfect mm, yeah exactly that charisma again just is because it shows that he he's having fun with it you know he's exactly. like he's having a good time and he's just yeah. like playing around hey because ultimately this guy did it to himself in his mind's eye you stole from me he, he got caught with his pants down a little bit because the dad he was packing some heat you know he had like that hidden gun he tries to shoot Stansfield. i think Stansfield like kind of like leans away and so his arm gets shot the dad tries to run and i think he takes out one of the goons on his way out but Stansfield, oh, so Stansfield, I think he falls down when he gets his arm shot. Uh-huh. Uh, he like falls on the ground. And so the guy tries to run past him. And then as he's running down the hall, that's when Stansfield caps him in the back. Right. Drops him. And also the little brother gets killed somewhere in the uh, chaos that's going on. Matilda's done shopping around this time. And so she like returns back home. And there's that guy that's like out front keeping watch. And, you know, he's he's like his eyes are on Matilda. She's walking by. And so she's just trying to like keep her focus straight. But out of the corner of her eye, she like peeks through the doorway and she walks past her apartment, you know, pretending like it's not hers. And she sees her dad's body like face down on the ground. And so she mm-hmm. just keeps walking. This scene was fucking so heartbreaking dude like mm-hmm. the the performance was 
Oh, dude. This was like just the start of what Natalie Portman was about to deliver in this movie, you know? Uh, Yes. She walks straight to the end of the hallway where Leon's apartment is, and she pretends like she lives there, you know? Right. So her back is to that goon. Her back is to the guy who was guarding the door. He's like watching her the entire time, ringing the doorbell, and she's just like pleading like to herself, like, please let me in. Please let me in. Right. And you could see through the peephole. He's looking at her through the peephole, and you could see the tears in her eyes, and you could hear the tremble in her voice as tough as a little girl as she was and badass with her smoking the cigarette here she is like just scared for her life and hoping that he'll help her extend a lifeline to her first seeing this movie man that scene i felt so bad for matilda you know that character she her character goes through some shit she really does yeah even though her family was a piece of shit to her and mm-hmm. she was like physically abused and psychologically abused and all that stuff, mm-hmm. that was still her family. And right. outside of that, she has like no one, That's it. no one else to turn to. How you're saying she had the street smarts for her to like pretend like like she tries to play cool and just keep walking and she didn't even have a plan. I think just instinctually, she was just like, just keep walking, just keep walking. Yeah. Eventually found herself at the end of the hallway and she happens to know someone that lives there. And so she's just desperate you know she's just hoping like just let me in like i i don't know what else to do i don't i I can't do anything else you know i'm dead unless you let me in right meanwhile i think he knows what's going on i think he's been hearing the gunfire and all that stuff so and he he's very observant himself so he's kind of like i don't want to get involved in this it's not as though he went to the door and was like i don't think i'm gonna let her in just because it's it's he knows what he sees what's going on he knows that there's some her parents were involved in something and by letting her in he's letting that element back he's letting that element into his life if he helps her then all of a sudden whatever's going on with her family is like his business now Mm -hmm. Uh, eventually you know leon's been kind of seeing shit go down i think that's why he chooses apartments at the end of the hall because he likes to have that vantage point like he wants to be able to see down the hallway Mm -hmm. he he keeps a low profile and he he kind of like spies on people through his peephole just to make sure that he stays on top of what's going on he doesn't want to get caught with his pants down either Mm -hmm. so he eventually lets matilda in and I don't even think she she doesn't even know what to expect. Like when she goes in there, like what does she expect to see? She doesn't even know. She just knows that she wants to get away from whoever murdered her family. That's it. She I don't think she cares much what what she's gonna see. It's more just will she even see anything? Is she gonna live to see that? And yeah, that was a really tense moment. That scene is really really intense because you see the you know the urgency. She needs this. But you also understand from his perspective, having seen, you know, what kind of life he lives, that he's not necessarily wanting to get involved and he doesn't have any kids of his own and and all that kind of stuff. It's just he's 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 really this, like you said, stoic man, single man just living on his own. And and you wouldn't blame anybody who even if they weren't a a professional hitman. Uh, for for questioning whether they should let this person in their in their house that was you know if this person were observant and also saw this shit and understood that by letting her in you were also inviting trouble dude and leon almost had to pop off on him too because that guy that henchman the, the lookout he walks over and pressing his ear up against the door leon is trying to like line up the gun to like if I got to take this fool out, uh-huh. it is what it is. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, I, I think Matilda is also kind of on autopilot. Like she was so traumatized. I don't think she's really thinking rationally. Like she's just like, I need to distract myself. And so she turns on the TV and there's like cartoons on. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was actually kind of cute that something that Matilda was super into was Transformers, like the old school <laughs> Transformers. Right. 
so she turns on TV and she's like watching Transformers. So that henchman guy is just like, oh, okay, well, uh, maybe he, she really does live there because it seems like it's just, you know, a normal family and they're like just watching TV. Well, right. And I think that's also why she does it too, because she is, again, street smart. So I think she realizes to play the part, it would seem suspicious for her to just walk into this apartment and have it be quiet. So the fact that she then turns on the TV makes it seem natural, makes it seem like, oh, this is something. And the fact that it's Transformers, it's a cartoon, really shows that, oh, you'd think this this man who answered the door for her isn't going to be just like all giddy looking at cartoons. He's not. He didn't look like a goofy kind of person. He's looked like a very serious guy. And the fact that she also sees him holding the gun against, you know, against the door, lining it up. She's sensing his caution as well with the whole situation. This, this showed a lot to Matilda, too, because one, I mean, he he already had like a gun ready to go, you know? So he was, Mm -hmm. he was ready to throw down. I think she kind of got the sense of like safety around him. She wasn't scared of the gun. She wasn't scared that he, he was wielding a gun. Mm -hmm. She felt like kind of strangely comfortable and, and safe around Leon, Mm -hmm. just like right from the get go. Right. It does. It does. It gets, she understands him in a way intuitively. She's got this, uh, this again, that intuition, Having only seen him do certain things, I mean, uh, but he's he's like um, he while while he may have a gun, he's never shown aggression toward her or anything like that. Never given never her reason her. to to right. So he may have a gun, but in other words, it's like fighting fire with fire. So she has him. He lets her into his apartment, which means she feels safe with that. But in addition to letting her into the apartment, he's not like, oh my gosh, what are we gonna do? They got guns, and he like as if he was the, one of those people who actually didn't have a gun. The situation is perfect. He's oh, got he's, guns. He's he cool can retaliate. He's cool as a cucumber. Exactly. He's just it's methodical. He is methodical. It actually doesn't take long for Matilda to find out that he's a hitman. I think while he's preoccupied with what what's gonna happen next, um, she you know she's kind of like being nosy and digging through some stuff and she opens that case that's on the dining table and there's just like a shit ton of guns and like and like tools and stuff in there he doesn't like freak out at her he's just like hey don't touch my stuff (laughs) (laughs) that's right and then she's got all these questions so you have more than one gun right right where do you need all these for and why why they like in the suitcase you know for like easy travel I think she kind of quickly puts two and two together. She's very smart. And she's just like, are you a fucking hitman?" And he's, he's straight up with her, you know, he's like, yeah, I am. And so now she wants him to teach her yeah. everything he knows. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And of course he's just like, no, you're out of your fucking mind. Right. right. Little girl. <laughs> what the hell? Like he doesn't even know her. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Just, yeah. I want you to teach me like, what the hell? No. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like the, the the shit that he's seen in his life, no doubt. Like, why would he want that for a little girl who's, you know, yeah. she may think she may think her life was shitty then before he uh, before this had hit the fan. But um, he is looking at her putting uh, himself in her shoes in, in some way. Right. And just being like, oh, like, I wouldn't want this for you. And to go along with the empathy. I actually, I don't even know if he ever sleeps in that bed, but he gives her the bed and he gives mm-hmm. her like a little blanket and everything. And he wants to make sure she's, she's comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, as comfortable as you can get in a fucking empty ass apartment. With, empty ass apartment. There's like nothing warm about that apartment, but I don't even think they have sheets on the bed or do they? No, no, it's, it, yeah, it's pretty bare bones. It's a bare but mattress, yeah. He lets her sleep and she's actually able to sleep, you know? And so, in, but in the middle of the night, you know, Leon's like in his post. So he's like sleeping in the little like chair, chair with a pistol facing in his the lap. door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. he is like man fuck this and so he gets up and he 
he puts on the silencer and he's about to take he's he's about to whack Matilda in while she's sleeping, but hmm. I think he can't do it. Ultimately, he's uh, at at his core, he's a softy, so it would be violating that is is one of his values, which is no women, no children. He'd be no killing women, both. No kids, yeah, it, she's both a kid and uh, you know a girl. Yeah. So it's like, well, if he can't kill her, then what can you do? So he decides to actually put her to work. <laughs> they're like working out together, you know, like oh, right. they're, they're doing like doing sit-ups, sit-ups and... <laughs> push-ups. And he's showing her how to clean the guns and um, handle them safely. And Just imagine this. Imagine living this lonely life that he's been living as a hitman. Not ever having only other person he really talks to is Tony. Aside from that, maybe a shopkeeper when he's buying his milk and getting his groceries. And, you know, he he's it's so interesting that you really get to see this tenderness that he has with the plant that they carry around from apartment to apartment when they have to leave. But but just how he always makes sure in the midst of this regimen of of working out and cleaning guns, preparing these weapons of, of uh, death Um Instruments, instruments of, of death, death. <laughs> yeah yes, instruments of death he uh he is so tender with this plant he it's 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 hard let's be real here it's it's not easy to keep plants alive even the most uh rugged of indoor plants you, you there's something about the fact that it's a living thing and you're responsible for it and he's very good with that plant like that plant is thriving he he right exactly he takes such good care of that plant it's not just that he waters it he makes sure he he has a little spray bottle of all the things in this bare apartment that he has he has a little spray bottle a water bottle not little it's actually you know quite large it's regular size but he sprays the leaves and he like just it's he he wipes each leaf down it's 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 something precious to him it's it's truly his only other friend if you think about it but then um and you know, she comes into his life and so here's this only other living thing aside from Tony that knows that he does this, that that is by his constant companion is this plant. So then Matilda comes into his life and she and he basically lays bare his soul in some sense. He by letting her in and letting her know that he does this, he's he's putting himself in a vulnerable, obviously a vulnerable position. And so is she, obviously, she she's almost she could have died if it weren't for him. So she was very vulnerable. Um no other circumstance would he have ever allowed her to see his not that side of him that side of him precisely it's his uh in essence it's his like uh port a picture you know dorian gray this is this is he's brought her into the inner sanctum um for her own safety's sake and in doing so like he he just by him accepting again it was his this empathy this this is his undoing in some sense or his his um or his uh What's the word? Um, I can't think of the word. I was going to say sanctification or something, but no, it's it's something else. It's it's like his uh, uh, catharsis in some sense. He actually gets to live at a higher level than he's ever lived before because he's always been in the shadows and everything. But then I guess what I'm trying to get at is the fact that another human being sees this which is by any uh, by all of their accounts would be would be scary would be oh, yeah. um, maybe people Disturbing. would be disturbed by it at the very least yeah. and look at him differently. She doesn't. She, she accepts doesn't judge him. him. She yeah. doesn't judge him. She accepts him. Accepts him as he is, and he's never had that before. That's a that's. I think a lot he's always. He, I think just inherently, he's always felt like maybe he can't have friends because they just won't understand what he wh- who he is and what he's, he is. 
he's been doing this for so long anyway, and he's he's just established his own habits. He's a single guy. I mean, living so living on his own is one thing, but then the fact that he's just had to come to accept that living this life, he can't just. First of all, his English is really quite broken anyway, and then so he's living as a foreigner in limited in his, uh, education for sure. Right, right, limited education, but he's good at what he does, mm-hmm. and um, and he's living in this other country, right? So he's. He, he is alone. He feels alone. And whether he realized it or not, he, he really did feel that way. And he and was comfortable with it. We also don't quite know about his backstory either, you know, until later. Right, right, right. So so this is a, quite an interesting encounter, um, again, where he gets to be seen for who he is and um, and accepted. And her as well. I could see where that that's kind of freeing for Leon. He found a friend, you know, an unexpected right. friend for sure for both right. of them, actually. Mm-hmm. An unexpected friend. Right? When you think of it, the dynamic, you, you have this little girl hanging out with this, this grown ass man and they're not family. <laughs> they're not related. Right. There's some weird shit going on. Right. Exactly. They both have like fucked up lives and they can kind of help each other through the, the troubles that they're experiencing. And they're very different from each other. Right. It's very, very different. It's, it's uh, very different from each other. The nature of the relationship is so, is so different as well. It's, it's different than say, for instance, like, uh, you know, with an older man and, and a girl, like the, like the book Lolita, um, where he just wants something from this girl. He thinks that that's what life is all about. And that's what he goes after. And he's using the, the girl for his own uh, needs or what he perceives as needs. Whereas, Leon is trying to take care of her. He really is looking out for her best interests. He's not want he doesn't want her to become a hitman like like him and he just he's just trying to protect her. He he didn't even really know what he was I mean maybe he didn't really know what he was accepting by letting her in. There's just a lot there's a lot there and he just I think he just defaulted to can't let this girl die. You know what's funny too? Leon is not equipped to be able to take care of a child at all. Right. And he's he's trying some stuff and it's it's weird but it's kind of working because you know he he busts out he sees that she's she's like really sad oh, about right. her, her family and so he's like have you met uh, I forgot what, what he calls the character right, the, the little puppet. piggy yeah and so he's just like oh you, I've, I've a pig yeah and she's like no I did not see a pig in this apartment he was just like I'll go get him you wait right here <laughs> super corny but it's charming and I think she appreciates the effort that he's making to try and cheer her up. Mm-hmm. I think that's when she was just like, "So what's your name?" And he's like, "Leon." And she's like, "Cute name." And he, <laughs> he chokes on the milk because he's like, he's taking a swig, and he's right. Just, <laughs> <laughs> right, right, dude. She's like gazing into his eyes, you know, and she's like she in looked, a trance. Right, right, exactly. She's she, and she's at that at that age where it's like, uh, did you ever see the movie The Man Man in the Moon with Reese Witherspoon? No, I haven't. Oh, it's like her. I think it's her first movie. She's around 13 as well. And she I, I bring it up because she um, she'd never really been into boys before, but then she falls in love. She's again the same age. She's 13. She's an adolescent. And she's again, never been in love. You know, boys are whatever. Got cooties kind of thing. And then <laughs> and then her older sister starts dating this guy and he's really charming, um, really nice person, actually. And she falls in love with him. Point is, um. They're at that age where, yeah, she—that's her. Her first love is her sister's boyfriend, and in this situation, uh, her first love is this guy who's taking much care of older. her. 
Much, much older. Exactly. Much, much older. Do you think in some ways, too, uh, what's contributing to this? Do you think she? it's possible that maybe she just has, like, dad issues? Because obviously she had a, a fucked up relationship with her dad. Yeah, no, of course. I think that's also what contributes to it. She's never really had somebody who gave her the kind of attention he's giving her. She's had to really fend for herself, which is why she is so street smart, because no one else was looking out for her. Not the same. She had to, she had to do it for herself. So, sure. yeah, everyone else had their own problems and um, her dad and her mom and so she was just she was just kind of cast aside. He was never much of a dad. Right. He her. was never much of a dad. Exactly. So now she has somebody who's treating her with care, treating and making sure that she's OK and showing that compassion, you know, that like her her dad never had. Actually, he's like literally quite the opposite of her dad because her dad was a coward. Like he was willing to put his family's um, safety at risk for for money, I guess. And yeah, he didn't make her feel safe or confident. He beat her. Oh, right, right. Oh, right. Hence the bloody nose and everything. Black eye. Yeah. Black eye, bloody nose. Yeah, she uh, and she's super sharp. And so she can she can say really pointed things as well that can get to him because he's um get her in he's, trouble. because like you said well because he's he's weak because i mean damn like think about that like the bitterness of being the child of this guy and being neglected what anger she must have had and uh, toward toward him and and just the the negligence on their part as parents toward her and all that so so again just that's that's who's now looking into leon's eyes and though she is as street smart as she is, it's funny that hearing hearing you talk about this now, I hadn't really thought about that before, all these things before, but she looks in, her looking into his eyes, of course, yeah, she's, she's having these, starting to have these feelings, cute name. Yeah. <laughs> but, but it seems so unexpected that somebody so sharp would think that and then all but, but you know here he's doing these cheesy things and, and she but she appreciates and she's it. like she's smitten she sees the intention behind what he's doing and the intention is simply even though it's cheesy and it's not so much like oh i want you to really laugh at this his deep down intention is i just want you to be okay i i don't yeah, want he, you to be sad he's just that's he's all. trying his best you know yeah that's all and she appreciates that it's funny too because he quickly like drops the act. He uses that glove to like pick up the glass of milk. Yeah, <laughs> like this character is now like he just gave up the character entirely. Right, right. It's now biting his <laughs> milk glass and feeding him. Oh my gosh, yeah. that's too funny. So as Matilda progresses in her training, um, he eventually moves her up to a snap rifle, and he explains the fact that. This is the reason why you start off with a snap rifle is because you get to keep a big distance between you and the target. So there's no chance of them really retaliating, uh, at least not in the sense where you can't get away in time. Right. I, it it kind of makes sense, you know, because he's, he's saying that as you get more skilled and more comfortable with taking people out, you can get closer to them. And so the knife is like the last thing you learn how to use. Right. He's like showing her basically like what's like a good spot to position yourself as a sniper. Don't turn, don't open the scope. Don't open the, the cover of the scope until there, there's like little steps to it. Yeah. He's not like going step by step. He's he's just showing her the entire process. And, you know, he's, he's like flying through it because he's an expert at it. But. Yeah, he's he's like piecing this snap rifle together from the case, and then they're like, "All right, you ready? Let's go!" And so they have like a little blanket and everything because you want, you want to be somewhat comfortable. You're gonna be up there for a while, I imagine, mm -hmm. in most cases. And she's like immediately trying to look through the scope. And I don't know. I, I just thought this this whole scene was pretty interesting. What was your take on that whole like snapper training? Thinking about it's just different. Thinking about it when I saw it though as a kid, I was excited. 
I was like, oh, that's cool. Like I would, oh, how cool would it be to learn how to do that? You know, I wasn't going, oh, this is dangerous. Oh, that's crazy. That's scary. Uh, especially as a, as a, as a, as a, as a boy. Um, Killing like, is yeah, cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Sniper rifle. Oh, that's a cool, big, that's a big old gun. Yeah. So um, anyway, I just appreciated how she was fearless about approaching this. I, I like how they frame this too, because they make it seem like this is a real gun or it, it might be a real gun, but they're not using real bullets, but you don't know that yet. And so you're like, is she really about to just snap someone right now? Because she's asking like, all right, so who should I target? And he's like, anyone. He's all right. Anyone, but no women. I think that's when he says no women, no children. The target ends up being like some politician guy or whatever. He's like yeah, taking a, a jog like a through central park. Yeah. He's got like his bodyguards all around him, secret <laughs> service or whatever. Yeah, and he's he's really pompous because he's got like this really Entourage. vibrant, mm-hmm. oh right, 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 like vibrant outfit on. He's like, I want you guys to hang back. I want this to look natural, you know. As he's jogging <laughs> right. through, that was a pretty damn good shot for her, her, her first time. You know, like she gets him like right in the stomach. Yeah, and it's a paintball, right? That right pegs him like a red one. So it look, it almost looks like blood. Or something akin to it. Yeah, it happened so fast. I'm not sure what it was. I mean, it could very well have been like a a bullet with a something else at the end. You know, like what, 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 I I don't know. I, I I don't know about all these things. But it, it, the way it travels, it's different. It just it just boom and it tags them. Paintballs are trickier. They they want to get the point across that it was non lethal rounds. Non lethal, precisely. It's a non lethal round. He gets tagged. You see the blood. He the the whatever he is the government official or whatever gets tackled by his <laughs> body he's like what the hell he's like he's okay and then he's like whoa oh and then they knock him down and then it's like oh, oh yeah they're swarming him yeah then yeah. they are then they're on the move then then they're like you <laughs> know right, then, let's get uh, out of here yeah exactly then you don't want to you don't want to linger too long yeah nope they pack up their stuff and they get the hell out so that, that was pretty cool you know like her she's learning how to how to like use the equipment now because she's been cleaning it and she she's kind of like she's getting tired of the workouts. Like, I love the fact that she's so fucking done with the sit ups that she's like, I'm just going to do like the little like stretches now that like her sister her older sister was doing. <laughs> right. Which right. is wearing the outfit and everything. Uh huh. And it's funny because she was making fun of her before. And now she's like just and, and it's funny, but also kind of maybe she's trying to I don't know tap into even her mindset the fact that her sister's gone now even though she was a bitch to her so you think that that was almost like a homage like she's like i want to remember her like this and like she's the one that like she was really into this so i kind of want to incorporate that myself yeah i think there's i think that there's this trauma there with the family of uh she hasn't really like processed with all that and so it's weird because she's she's i think she's torn because she she knows how badly they they treated her except for her little brother of course but she's got these she's got these feelings as well for them because although they treated her poorly, um, she still loved family's them. Family's family. They didn't. The fa- family's family, and they didn't deserve to die that way. And so I think that although you know you saw her have this interaction with her sister as she after she was doing this whole workout and everything, now she's wearing this and she's doing this kind of thing. And also I think it has something to do with the fact that um, it was this very feminine way of working out. She saw her sister doing this. Her sister was very body conscious, or you know trying to trying to attract men or whatever and i think maybe in some way she was trying to do the same with him you oh know, interesting because, because she's developing these feelings and what's kind of sweet with uh, matilda and leon's relationship was the fact that um you know obviously leon's having her do a bunch of grunt work and like busy work and stuff like that but he's also you know he's teaching her some pretty important things in the world of cleaning there's uh, an exchange, though, you know, like there's there's like a barter going on. So in exchange, Matilda 
she she also runs the errand so you know she continues to do like the grocery shopping she cleans the apartment but she teaches leon how to read and write and i, I thought oh, that was pretty right. fucking cool right right isn't that that is cool they play to their strengths though right and that i think that's dope that that he he contributes in his own way to to her well-being and she does for him and they're like this unit they're working together right so she she because she does speak english well and she is a little you know she can be charming she's really well spoken for a child i did not speak that I, i don't even speak that well now (laughs) (laughs) i think that um you know i I was very precocious as a child so i could appreciate how precocious she was as well it felt like when i was when i was you know here i was just a few years younger than her watching her performance i remember just thinking wow there's somebody out there kind of like me you know it'd be more impressive even i'm like wow i don't know if i could hold my own talking to strangers the way that she does at, at that age but yeah, well she had a couple years on you too she she did and you know it was interesting because um you know my, my mom would bring this up before but i was i was able to speak in sentences at a, quite a young age i don't know if it was like a, a little after a year or something like that and it would surprise my parents with that but um so there was that precociousness did, did you kind of um, aspire to be a little bit like her in some ways? Like, cause you saw her acting this way and you're like, Oh, she's, she kind of reminds me of myself in, in that regard. Yes. Yes. I was definitely inspired by her. Even it's funny. Cause it's just a movie and it's so it's, it's interesting growing up though, watching so many movies, I've had to unlearn some things uh, cause it's not the real world, obviously, but these movies had made such an impact on me because they really reached into the emotions, into my emotions. So I had to had to learn what things were real and what, what weren't. But um, having said that then, because uh, movies did inspire me, I had to pick and choose the things, I had to realize what things what things were helpful and what things were, were harmful for me. Um, uh, no, she definitely inspired me. See, when that's what I was trying to get at is, so I was speaking, in full sentences from a very young age and my dad and my, my mom were quite sociable. So we would, we would often, uh, especially my dad as a, as a hairstylist, he would, he would introduce us. He'd bring us around to friends' houses and stuff. And so we'd meet all sorts of different people and we'd hang, he taught us how to have certain manners and we were, we always wanted to be invited back. That was like the biggest compliment to be invited back. Hmm. And, uh, so having said all that, then there came a point where we were working with, so we'd had experiences talking with people who weren't strangers. I mean, they were strangers to us, but not to my dad. So we felt comfortable in their presence. And then when we moved away, uh, we moved up North to Sacramento whenever we would see our dad, which I forget how often it was. I think it was maybe once a month. Um, we would fly down. And so we, we, um, we would fly back and forth for Southwest Airlines from from Northern California to Southern, and we would meet strangers all the time. I, so I think by then we had already been doing that. But by, by that by the time this movie had come out, we had already been kind of doing that. And so this movie did really inspire me to 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 see also that this girl could, I don't know, she could do it so sharply that it wasn't just that she was surviving like scared, but she could do it in a way where she could um, get what she wanted. Yeah, I, I like the, the character too, uh, because Matilda, she's the longer she stays with Leon, she's trying to bring him out of his shell. Now that she's <laughs> kind of got the, the wall to, to be lowered, she's trying to pull him out of the shell. And so she's like, let's play a game. It, all we do is work and this and that. And so <laughs> she, right. she's playing dress up and she's like, you know, pretend to be these celebrities. And he's just like, I don't know. I don't know who that is. Yeah. Obviously, he tries and she gets it wrong. And I think he he's kind of embarrassed. But like, she's like, no, no, no. Like, 
Uh, that was gonna be my next guess. I, I was gonna say John Wayne. <laughs> she she probably has no fucking idea who John Wayne is. Hey Pilgrim. <laughs> he had the walk down pretty good though. Yeah, he did. Yeah, and so he, you know, he's just like, hey, this is a stupid game. I want to play this. It's funny because she's finally able to to really get him to come out of his shell when um she pours like water on him, you know, and so he's like chasing her around the apartment. And dude, this scene is so wholesome. I, I had like the the biggest smile on my face watching this. He would like pushes her in the closet and he's like trying to keep the door shut. She's like, <laughs> no. And she's like trying and to like. And he's like it. using the spray bottle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Door like collapses. <laughs> yeah. It was such a wholesome scene, dude. Oh, it is. It is. Gosh, especially after every fucking thing that they've been through, all that darkness, and for them to have this levity, to have this time where then they're not worried like they've been up until then. There's this tension that builds and then they find and then and then Besson like finds a way to alleviate that a little bit mm-hmm. like any like any good music, like like a Bach piece. You have this complexity, you have this t- this tension uh, and then you have the the release of that of that tension, the resolution. So so anyway, yeah, to have that moment. Yeah, of course. I think that anybody who watches that scene is going to going to smile because I mean, it, it is it, it is it is just so uh, such an endearing, heartwarming a wholesome scene and uh uh <laughs> i don't know isn't it funny though symbolically that he he is spraying her with the spray bottle he, he uses to take care of that plant that i was mentioning before mm. she's his little she's his little plant he's taking care of her he's feeding her and you know she like compares herself to the plant because she's like you spent so much time taking care of that plant and getting it to grow you're watering this plant when you should be watering me like she specifically <laughs> says that, you know, ah. like she makes that comparison. So that that's interesting. Yeah, he's not. Even, it's not even like a daughter. It's not, he doesn't see her as that. He just sees her as a friend he needs to take care of. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, he he's kind of doing her a solid. But it gets to this uncomfortable point where she gets them kicked out of an apartment. Right. I was gonna say she goes down to that front desk and she's just like, you know, how I told you he was my dad. Well, he's not my dad. He's my lover. She knows that what she said was inappropriate but i don't think she expected it to be that serious like the following day there they are walking they knock on his door and he almost like looks at her like what'd you fucking do <laughs> <laughs> which is, and it's interesting that they don't like get him arrested or something like that they just you, you gotta go they kick we kicking you out that scene where they're like walking down the street and she's yeah. like holding the plant you know yeah exactly and he's just walking you can he's tell just... he's like super annoyed like he's just like <sighs> Yeah, yeah. She didn't have to do that, but but also she's a kid. At some point, too, Matilda even spots Stansfield. So this whole time, they haven't ran into them again since the murder of her family. She spots Stansfield, and you know she would recognize him a mile away. And so she's like, mm. "Oh shit!" You know, they they get into their car and they drive off. And so Matilda like hops in the the cab, and you know she's having them follow. It's funny because he's like, "Wait, do you want me to like?" run the red lights too and she gives him like a hundred here's your money shut the fuck up (laughs) (laughs) i think similar to how you know she's been kind of like taking matters into her own hands so she was like announcing to that guy at the front desk that they're lovers and stuff like that (laughs) so little by little i think she's like kind of he is giving her a longer leash and so she's taking advantage of it and so she follows Stansfield down to his destination, and it turns out to be the DEA office. Okay, so this is where he works. This is who he is. 
the audience already knew who Stansfield was because after murdering Matilda's family, they come back to the crime scene and then they're just basically like, yeah, you know, uh, they just started shooting at us. And so we had to defend ourselves. And so they totally skew the the truth. Crooked cops. This is why no one likes cops. (laughs) This is important to note because now she knows where he works. Put a pin in that. I'm going to come back to you later. I'll see you later. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. Um, you never saw the international cut, right? Because I think I was talking to you outside of the podcast. I was, you, I was asking right. you which version you saw. Yeah, I still need to see that. I, I'm interested in seeing it. Okay, okay. There's just like, I think, was it like 20 to 30 minutes of extra footage? And Whoa. it's not, I'll, and like what I was telling you earlier, it's not just dumb shit where it shows the entirety of them walking down the hall, having like a, oh. an extended conversation. These right. are like actual like different scenes that add more weight to the story. The mm. story is already compelling as is, but I feel like this just, these are like the sprinkles on top of the Sunday, ah. you know, like it just adds to it. And without going into detail, like there's a, um, there's like a Russian roulette scene and Leon even takes Matilda out on an actual hit. The parts that I actually did want to focus more on, like um, if you ever get around to seeing the international cut, or I think in America might be called the extended version. Mm. I I hate how there's so many damn names for the same thing, but yeah, it's the same thing. So just look for the longer version and you'll be able to see these. So in one of the hits, and the reason why I want to bring this up is because it foreshadows uh, later on in the movie and that's oh. what i didn't like about the fact that these were left off of the theatrical cut is because this is something that would have given more impact to something later on in the movie so oh. in one of the hits they're kind of starting to build this system where he you know he takes her out on a few of them and what happens is he shows her this technique where he like chews gum they locate the target's apartment he takes the gum and he he sticks it over the uh, people. Mm. And so that way they can't see it. It's just like darkness. And so what he does is he knocks on the door and he tells her to like say something just to get him to open the door. And she's like, well, what I say? And he's like, anything, just say something, you know? And she's like ad-libbing. So she's like, uh, hey, mister, you know, I, I'm looking for so-and-so and uh, I, I can't find him. I'm, I'm lost. And the it's really dark out here, you know, like the, the hallway lights out. Can you help me? And so he's just like, oh yeah, whatever. And so... You know how when he was doing the John Wayne impression, he had the the bolt cutters, like he has that giant holster and mm-hmm. the bolt cutters. So this is where you actually see him use the bolt cutters, and oh. I feel like you you never see him use it no. in the the actual movie, the theatrical version. So yeah, what he does is he uses that to take out the door chains. So as soon as oh, they crack okay. it, he just shoves it in there and he just snaps it and like busts through the door. Uh-huh. They do that a couple times. So she's like getting more comfortable with it. Now, instead of him placing the gum, like she's, that's like her job now. So she like chews the gum and she places it on the people. Wow. And then, uh, you know, she's like going through her script. Yeah, it's really dark out here. Can you help me? And he's just like, yeah, yeah, hold on one sec. And so, you know, she's like standing there in front of the door patiently. And like Leon's kind of like off to the side, you know, with his mm-hmm. bolt cutters ready. Mm-hmm. But like he's listening. And so he hears a gun cock. He can immediately, just from that sound, he can picture the exact weapon. Like, he's, he sees that it's, like, some sort of, like, semi-automatic rifle. Mm. And so he's like, oh, shit. And so he, like, he yanks Matilda away from the door. And the guy inside the apartment just starts blasting through the door. You know? Like, oh. he he knows that, like, it's a ruse. Right, right. Matilda's, like, freaked out because she almost just died right now. Right. And I, I don't think she quite understood, like, 
the dangers that could come with what was happening, you know? She really didn't. And it, it's not always going to go smooth. And so um, the guy's just like unloading his magazine until he's empty. And I think he's like, he's like in the process of like reloading. And and you really see how cool, calm and collected Leon is in the scene because he's like, he's telling Matilda like, you know, situations like this, it can get pretty heated and dangerous. And the longer it goes, the more complicated the situation might get. You need to quickly like squash the shit. Like you need to take care of the situation immediately. So situations like this, I like to use the ring trick. He like pulls the pin of a grenade and he he tosses it through like the big hole in the door. He blasts it through. And so he throws the grenade through the door and he like covers Matilda. When it blows up, that grenade just like took the guy out. But then he opens the palm of his hand and you see the pin and the ring. And he's like, that's the ring trick. Man, that would have been way more impactful had that been in the movie. That's fucking, that's lame that that wasn't included in the movie. That's, uh, maybe I, don't, I wonder why it was cut out. But yeah, wow, that's super, super, oh, that's very impactful. It feels weird. It feels like I, I haven't, I feel, I feel like I'm. Like you missed like half of the movie. <laughs> yeah, this movie, the, the, yeah, because that's just such a, um, makes me appreciate the movie that much more because. Uh, the famous short story writer Anton Chekhov said, "If you ever something basically to, akin to if you introduce a gun in uh, Act One, you have to you need to bring it out before the end of the third act or something like that. It needs to come out. Oh, you you have yeah. So if you see a gun, it's foreshadowing. It's going to be used somewhere. No, nothing should be introduced. No 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 new material. No prop. Right. No prop should be introduced that isn't going to be used later. So yeah. So the fact that they brought that ring and that you saw it associated with a grenade, you saw this huge explosion. So then you get the satisfaction when he you see that ring again and he does a different ring trick. And the line i won't i will wait i'll wait till we get oh, to yeah. that scene but we're, oh we're getting gosh. there we're getting yeah. there i think we're like more than halfway now you know speaking of grenades i found out the hard way how to accidentally make one at home oh what the heck you're all it's called you, you eat you eat a bunch of uh you, you're Spicy lactose food. intolerant and you drink <laughs> yeah, exactly you drink some milk the way I accidentally discovered how to make a homemade grenade is by taking a an egg. You take a hard-boiled egg. Huh. And you microwave that shit. Oh, shit. Have you ever done this before? I had the brilliant idea as a kid. I like hard-boiled eggs, but I want it like a little bit warm. <laughs> I'm going to throw it in for like 30 seconds. Uh-huh. The density levels of an egg they vary greatly right with like the white and right. the yolk the yolk right so the white is not very dense but the yolk is very dense and so what happens is when you microwave it the pressure builds up inside the yolk oh it's it's just held there oh no and then what you do is you bite into it and as soon as you pierce so if you take like a little nibble of the egg white it might be right. it might not be so bad but as soon as you pierce into the yolk all that pressure is released and it fucking explodes in your face. Oh, dang. All the steam comes out and I like burnt my <sighs> upper lip by doing this because I, I didn't know any better. You know, I was in right. like middle school. So I was just like, whatever, I, I'm just going to have like a warm hard boiled egg. I'm just in shock. You know, I'm like, what the yeah. fuck what just, just happened? happened? Yeah, I just did a normal thing. Never microwave a hard boiled egg. Dang. Noted. So, yeah, getting back to the movie, um, I think at some point, Leon goes out on a job by himself. And then I, this is like back 
on the uh, theatrical version. And Matilda takes the opportunity to take matters into her own hands. And so since she knows where Stansfield works, she just fills up a bag of uh, concealable guns and obviously from Leon's collection. And then she, you know, she takes a, a cab out to the DEA office and she's basically she infiltrates the office by pretending to be like a uh, food delivery person. Right, right. But this is the part where her greenness comes into play. Like she's, you know, she's a little wet behind the ears because she sees Stansfield in like the main lobby area of the building just after the metal detectors. And right. she's sitting there staring at him. And it's obvious. Like she's like burning a hole through him. And I think he kind of sees her out of the corner of his eye. But he just, he, you know, he plays it cool and he just keeps talking, pretending mm-hmm. like he doesn't see it. And then I think he, what he's doing is he's like concocting a plan. So he's just like, I think that girl is like she's like targeting me for something i'm gonna set a trap so he goes into the the men's restroom she goes in after him but she doesn't mm-hmm. have a plan like she just walks right in and she's like looking around it's an empty bathroom so expertly done you know the cinematography the door to the men's restroom was like left open and you see it go boom and like slam closed and Stansfield's uh-huh. like behind the door yep yep and i remember seeing that the first time and i was like Oh, you're fucked. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, There's man. no way she's getting out of this. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was. I was sweating. You know, I was like, I didn't want her to even be there in the first place. But I was like, oh, she's she's I get it. She's driven. She wants to get her revenge. What is she going to do? Right. I mean, what, what, what she does know has always been with him, never by herself. And she's just doesn't, yeah. anyway, I just wanted things to work out for her. And then when he does that, all, all my I think the color drained from my face when he slammed that bathroom door shut. I was like, oh, damn, she got got. I didn't know. I didn't know what was going to happen. I just didn't want her to get I didn't want her to get hurt. I didn't want her to die. I was just like, oh, no. So he knows that he has her all to himself and no one's going to be able to save her. They're in the this government building and no one else is in the restroom. Mm-hmm. It doesn't seem like it's a very busy restroom anyway. He has her like kind of cornered and everything, and he's slowly walking up to her and he wants to get answers. So before he does anything to her, you don't even know what the fuck he's going to do, mm-hmm. you know, on top of that. But like he he's getting answers and she's like a deer in the headlights. Like she is fucking shitting bricks. As tough as she thought she was. right? She doesn't even know what to do. He thinks that she's like a spy or something. So he's like, who are you working for? You know, who sent you? Oh, right, right. His signature thing, like he takes that little pill, pill. bottle out uh-huh. and he like shakes it and he like listens right before he pops one. Uh-huh. I love the way that Gary Oldman does this part. I don't even know if this was like how he was directed to do it, but I love how his body like contorts as he's like biting into the capsule. Yeah. Right. Which you see him do in that scene before he is it when he's interrogating the family it's at the beginning of the movie either way. And he and the shot is. It's such a beautiful shot too. It's top down, like you said, from the ceiling, and so you. He's oh, and he's like up. looking up at the he's camera. He's looking up, and he's like, "It's cool that they show that." He just cracks it open in his teeth, like that. It's, it's yeah. almost like he's like becoming possessed by whatever is in that pill. Right. It's almost like a ritual to him because he, right. he always does the shake first, and he listens to see what's inside, and then he like grits his teeth and like holds the capsule in between his teeth and then he like slowly punctures it and bites into it Mm -hmm. it seems like the effect is almost instantaneous right very disturbing and and kind of sinister though they don't ever explain what it is those pills are but man yeah (laughs) 
It's almost like right before he's about to do something heinous. Yes. I don't even know if like this is a way of like him to deal with what he's about to do or this is like what gives him the necessary push to be able to take it that far. Right. But either way, you know, it's bad news every time he pops one of those pills. Right. That or maybe it's his way of enjoying what he knows he already has to do anyway. So it's like, okay, well, if I'm going to have to do this dirty deed. Like it's going to enhance the experience. Yeah. It's going to color it for sure. Right. How ironic is it that the DEA agent is like a fucking big ass drug addict? Right. Right. Yeah. Luckily for Matilda, though, um, one of the goons comes in and he walk. you know, he, he kind of interrupts what's about to happen because after he pops it, he's he's almost like creeping towards her. He tells Stansfield that one of their guys just got killed recently. And they're like, what? And so it's assumed that Leon, he went on a job and he took out one of their their teammates. Uh, I see. I see. Because now they're encroaching. They're encroaching on Tony's territory. It's all meeting up. It's starting to hit close to home for both sides because now one of their teammates was just murdered and they have an idea of who it is, but they want to know for sure. So they're like, all right, we're going to go pay a visit to Tony. You guys take this girl upstairs and, you know, squeeze every little drop of information you can out of her. We're going to find out who the fuck she works for and what what's going on with her. Stansfield takes a few of his guys and they, they go to Tony's. Um, Leon gets home. And then he sees that Matilda left a note saying, like, I went to go take care of this business myself. Mm. This is, I think, what really solidifies his relationship with Matilda Leon's because he doesn't think twice. He just heads there immediately after reading that note. And he's almost in like this state of what seems like anger and desperation. He doesn't care about his well-being at all. He doesn't care about the well-being of anyone else other than Matilda. And so he just comes in and he starts fucking capping fools in the DEA office. Oh, my gosh. He doesn't care who's in his way, honestly. He's a one-man army at this point. Yeah, yeah. He finds Matilda and, you know, she's upstairs and she's being interrogated. And they're unloading her, her uh, like, lunch pail full of guns. And they're like, right. what the fuck do you need all these guns for, you know? And who are you? And so uh, Leon storms in, boom, pops both of them immediately. And he's like, all right, let's go. <laughs> right. Dude, so efficient, right? Like, he knows yeah. exactly where they probably took her and, yeah, snatched up and, and they're out. And, you know, they're taking the cab ride back. Now, Dancefield shows up at Tony's restaurant. This is pretty sad because, you know, Tony and Leon, they're tight. Like, they, you know, they have that rapport and you get a sense that, you know, he's he's a good friend, but I think in terms of a business partner, not so much. You know, he takes mm-hmm. advantage of Leon mm-hmm. and, and kind of his his uh like lack of education and stuff. So um yeah, Tony can basically tell him anything and he's he's gonna believe it because he trusts him because he mm-hmm. took care of him at such a young age. I think at some point too, doesn't Leon this is where Leon reveals to Matilda that you know, he moved over to the States when he was very young and Tony was like the first person to take care of him once he got right. here. He's always been there for him as far as he knew, but yeah. Hmm. Oh, another thing too is in the extended version, they go into the backstory, like even deeper into Leon's backstory. Oh. I feel like not everything needs explaining, but I felt like this actually added to the story. So he was saying that he loved a girl once over in Italy. She loved him, but her parents didn't approve of the relationship. 
And and does this any of this sound familiar, or is this the extended version? I think this does sound from yeah, this does sound familiar. Okay, so they they may have like cut that part and like placed it somewhere else in the movie. I see. Okay, but I, I guess what happens is that the dad, because he he disapproves of the relationship so much, and since the daughter is gonna go against his will and still be with Leon, he kills his own daughter so that way Leon couldn't be with her. And so Leon, in a rage, kills the dad. And before he can be arrested, he f- he flees to the States. Ah, uh, I see. Yeah, it's pretty tragic. Yeah. His life was just fucked up from the get-go. Mm-hmm. So he knows a fucked up life. And he knows he can understand her fucked up life, Matilda's. The enraged Stansfield confronts Tony. And they don't really show it, but right. they allude to the fact that Tony is like tortured for information. Mm-hmm. You know, like they know that Tony and Leon have some sort of a working relationship. So this scene is important because it reveals the fact that Stansfield and his his agents, they work with Tony similar to how Leon works with Tony. So I think what they're also alluding to was that Leon unknowingly cleans people for the DEA agents through Tony. Wow. Right, right. And so the people that Leon kind of despises right now, it's kind of weird that he's been working for unknowingly for a mm-hmm. while. Mm-hmm. Stansfield knows Tony can find Leon. That's where they torture him for his whereabouts. And then, yep, sure enough, they're able to track down Leon's uh, apartment where he currently stays. And, uh, you know, not expecting Tony to rat them out. Leon and Matilda, I, I feel like they after Leon saves her from the the DEA office. Right, the clutches. They lay low and they I think they think that they're safe because no one really knows where they, they stay, especially because they, they've been moving around quite a mm. bit. Matilda's gonna do her, her usual thing. She's gonna go get some groceries. That's where they talk about the special knock, like mm-hmm. secret code between the two. And so they they sh- they reveal it to the audience where I think it's like knock twice wait and then like knock twice again something like that and then once and and it's very specific and so uh on her way back she's snatched up by some fucking SWAT team looking dudes right that shows you that there's like this whole operation that's about to go down Mm -hmm. i actually had to look this up so these aren't actually like a SWAT team even though it seems like they do something similar they're actually the esu which stands for Emergency Service Unit. This is like a branch of law enforcement specific to New York City. Oh. They almost have like their own division of like an in-house SWAT team. Wow. They snatch up Matilda and they are, they they kind of have a hunch. They're like, is there some sort of special code or whatever? Or like, how does he know that's you? She reveals that there's a code, but she gives him a different one. Right. I think that's what's important so to know. So smart. Yeah. She kind of demonstrates on the wall. It's different from the one that they showed earlier, like moments before. Mm-hmm. Man, we're getting into like the climax of the movie. Like this is like where all hell breaks loose, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> a couple guys walk up to the door and they use that code that Matilda just showed them and the door opens. So they're like, cool. All right. Open Sesame. Let's go. And so they, you know, they cautiously creep into the apartment. <sighs> This fucking scene, man. This is yeah, awesome. Seriously, this is why he, why Leon does so many sit-ups. You, you finally get to see this. So mm-hmm. door opens and like three people walk in. You know, they're on guard and they have their guns drawn. 
the nice. door slams behind them immediately, and then you just hear a bunch of gunshots. Matilda is freaking out because she thinks that they got Leon, so she's just like, "No, no, no!" But what actually happens is the door swings open again slowly, and then those mm-hmm. ESU guys are on the ground, and then you see Leon like hang down from like a bar in front of the the doorway, and so he's he starts capping dudes upside down. Uh, right, right, hanging upside down. Such a cool shot. Such Bad a cool scene. scene. With two handguns, just two two handguns, just boom, 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 boom. They actually tag Leon right here. So, you know, he oh, takes out right. like like two or three guys. And then the fourth guy, I think, actually tags him in the shoulder. So he like drops one of the guns and mm-hmm. he closes the door. Oh, man, I forgot about this part. I, oh, I almost forgot about it. And this is the quote that we always bring up, the gif. <laughs> They're radioing to Stansfield, who's like on the ground floor, and they're like, "They're like, sir, we lost some guys." And he's just like, "Of I course, told I told, I told you." He's like, "I told," but he says it in such a ca- he says it in such a casual way. Again, he's just he he knew I what the result you. was going to be. Yeah, I told you. He gets off the radio and he turns to his guy that's like next to him, and he's like, "Bring in everyone." I think he says like, "Call the precinct, tell him to send everyone." Everyone. Everyone. <laughs> iconic it's so because he's it, what's so interesting about it it was it was iconic and also it was ad-libbed um which is genius but he is so calm that's what's so brilliant about it he's so calm i told i told you call the call of the I forget what he says call the precinct tell him to send everyone and then the guy's like everyone and then he turns around and just from that from that calm peaceful demeanor then just to be like he's lost his shit like a little kid throwing a tantrum Ev- like read my lips without without saying read my lips he goes everyone just like enunciating oh yeah all of it and you and he's shaking trembling with ain't with rage and his face is so contorted and you can see his eyes are bloodshot it's just all of it is so uh amazing can't contain the the frustration anymore at this point that's it right he's fucking had it with this guy you know right exactly he's had it with leon the guy keeps outwitting him they fucking show up with like a few more trucks and like several guys pop out they're lining the stairwell for like three floors because because you see you hear him say send everyone and you're like okay and then it goes back to the apartment um he's shot everybody he got tagged and then we pick up from there after after Stansfield tell them everyone. I, I just wanted to really paint the picture of the scene because, man, this was such a fucking like in terms of action movies. This was such a dope action scene. Leon gets the jump on one of the guys, you know, he like peeks around the corner and Leon's already there and he like holds the gun up to his forehead. And mm-hmm. so that's when he orders them to let Matilda go. And so he takes that guy hostage, leads him back to the entrance of the apartment, mm-hmm. uh, has Matilda go inside, and then he shoots the fire sprinkler just above his his doorway. And then he leaves that agent outside and shuts the door. What that does is it creates like the smoke screen with the water. So you can't see past right. that. The ESU guys are like, fuck this. And so they're like, ah, and they start unloading on him. And they fucking shoot their own guy. Right. Friendly fire. They can't even see him. Yeah. Oh, and I think as they were heading back to the door, that's when Leon tells Matilda to get an axe. And we don't know what that's for until now. So, you know, Leon is, he's thinking critically. He's normally cool, calm, and collected under pressure. But this is a unique situation. Shit is really hitting the fan. And he needs to get Matilda out of there immediately. He's like, give me the axe. 
and starts just like hacking at the wall where the fan is, it's revealed that there's like this ventilation shaft that goes vertically through like the center of the building. And I guess it goes all the way to the basement from what it looks like. Mm-hmm. Pixman's told up and places her in there and he's like, all right, let's go. But her being so smart, she's like, wait, you can't fit in here. It's barely big enough for me. She understands that he's just focusing on getting her out of there right now and not himself. This is a tender scene right here. You know, it's it's so touching because he finally verbalizes how he feels about her. We saw how he felt about her when he stormed that building, reckless abandon. Mm-hmm. But now it's solidified because he's actually able to verbalize it to her. He's able to face his fear. When I told you I didn't love you, you know, I was lying. Like, I do love you and I need you to be okay. You know, that's all that matters right now. He actually asks her, do you trust me? And she says, yes. And he's like, I have a way out. So this is your way out. I have my own way out. He doesn't tell her how he's going right. to get out, but he's like, right. I have a plan. So I just need you to trust me. And so she's like, okay, okay, okay. But she's, but she's saying it like tearfully. It's like, yeah. God, it's one of the most gut-wrenching scenes. I cried. I, that scene, I did cry when I was a kid. I, I remember seeing it and just seeing she's just, it's so tender. It, Cause even as she's going, as, as she's descending down, she's still looking him in the eyes and he's looking at her and she's got the plant. And I think she's got like a little bunny or something like that. And oh yeah, that was her brother's, I think. That's right. So she's going down and then Natalie's so good at the crying scenes, you know, like oh, you really feel it. Heart rending, dude. Just truly just my heart was just torn in two. But and then and then and you and you feel it, too, when he just lets it out and he's like, oh, and yeah, it's that, it's that really interesting shot where it's kind of shot a little bit under it's just a shot underneath his chin. And you see his eyes are wet and he's just and they're red and he's just raging just all all of this, it's it, in a way, it's almost his Stansfield moment where Stansfield's like, everyone. It's like he's reached his frustration point now, too. With But with loving her and wanting to take care of her and feeling frustrated and knowing he's he's in a really shitty situation, just stymied. Like, he's got to... It's, 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 a, it's a lot. It's a lot. I mean, at, at this point, I think the audience is supposed to think, like, yeah, Leon is fucked right now. Like, there's no way he's getting out. I felt I, like he was. I was like, this is just his swan song. This is just his 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 moment to lie to her, almost. They've now arrived at this point where he's got to continue to save her. That was his choice. Oh, it's such a good... God dang, that movie's so freaking good. We're not even at the end yet, you know? No, like, we're, we're no. almost there. So, yeah. Leon's, like, going super sane. Right. Um, <laughs> I think he... That's where I kind of felt like this was... Leon's last stand because you know it has that like close up and he's just like letting all of his emotions out and then the ESU what do they do they get desperate and they fucking bring out an RPG and like blow the fucking apartment up mm-hmm. exactly because they even tried sniping him from uh, from a, a you know adjacent building or a building across the way right so they could see their lasers going in and he's telling her to hug the bottom of the windowsill like just to crawl along the floor and so they've tried everything they can't get close because he's he's killed them all when they've tried um they don't want to risk life it seems by bum rushing him either so they try to decide to soften soften him a little either kill him or soften him and knock him out or whatever and then enter after shooting that rpg into the room in, a, in an apartment in new york what the yeah <laughs> I don't even think they the they cared about the safety of any of the other residents. Like, for all they know, they're right. The natural thing for them to do is like, hey, if they hear a bunch of gunshots outside, we're just gonna lock the door and like hunker down and hope for the best. 
So after they blow up the fucking apartment, ESU, they do a sweep of the apartment and... The smoke everywhere, dead bodies. That's the thing. They can't find Leon. But they found uh, one of their own guys alive. And so they're like, all right, cool. You know, let's get him out of here. And so, yeah, they, they pick him up and they take him down a, a couple floors and the medic's kind of checking him out. Right. He's got gas mask on and everything. And he takes the mask off. It's Leon, you know, that mm-hmm. smart SOB. Yeah, seriously. And he goes, and he says, hey, you know, could I, could I, could I put the mask back on? It helps me to breathe better. Because that, you know, it does have oxygen being funneled in there. Oh, that's true. That's true. Yeah. And uh, it helps conceal his identity. Precisely. The only thing is, unfortunately for Leon, Stansfield had spotted him from down the hall. So, right. Uh, and again, he Stansfield's so cunning because he's like concocting yeah. a plan. So he's like, I, I'm going to set a trap. So Leon puts the gas mask back on and he's like walking down the stairs. And it's funny because the guys are like giving him like thumbs up and like props and stuff. Well, because they don't know. And, and because Stansfield wants to keep this all a secret, he tells them all just to clear that little that that uh, alleyway. That, uh, well, it was like a corridor. It was like this whole um, it was like the, the 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 lobby. It's a lobby. You actually think like Leon Leon's going to fucking do this, you know, like right. that, that crazy son of a bitch. He did literally it. literally light at the end of the tunnel. He sees it and you could just it's it's just so fucked up dude it's such a fucked up thing because it's like he lets him get a taste of he was the almost there that he could get away that he could get away right he's a sick motherfucker dude he is a sick motherfucker everything's dude. a game he's, to him you know like he, is, he wants right. to he keeps wanting he wanted to one up leon at least once and so he finally does at the very end there he does and then he just and then he just trails him and so you see you, you it, it's it's a beautiful gosh luke Besson, this is such a ge- brilliant scene i just oh my gosh you have the music it's just one piano it's just the uh, the piano playing and um and then Stansfield sweeps behind. You can't hear the walk. You can't even hear the sound of the footsteps. It's just you hear the piano the playing. Piano, that's it. Almost as though it's like this. Um, almost as though in his head, it's like this joyful tune. It's like this is him. Gosh, I, I read this quote. I wish I had the book on me now, but it's it's from this book called "Only the Lover Sings" uh, by uh, Yusuf Pieper, uh, this philosopher. And in it, he, he talks about music. Um, and I mention this because he says. I think he says something akin to music is the expression of the inner existential, the inner, I'm sorry, the inner existential soul, something like that. Interesting. I'm, I'm it's like totally a representation. It. Yeah, it, exactly. So, so to hear this music, like what we're getting this expression directly to our. And it's also misleading to our hearts. Right. Exactly. So, so to cut this off, to cut off any, any undue noise of footsteps, of breathing, of equipment that he's got on still, cause he's dressed like an ESU agent and you just see the joy on his face. And you can't help but wonder like what's going through his head right now. And right. he's like, I, I did it. You know, like I'm going to rendezvous with Matilda. I got her out safely. I got out safely and we did this. Right, we got we we got through this. We're both safe. Like, who knows what comes next? Right? He's not. I I don't know what 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 kind of plan he has next. Maybe he'll talk to Tony. I don't know. Who knows? But but at the very least, he's just thinking, "We did this. I got out when I didn't even think I could, and I'm gonna get to see Matilda again." He let his guard down for one second, and that was the one mistake that he made in the movie. And he wouldn't have let his guard down, nor would oh yeah, exactly. He wouldn't have let his guard down had he seen other people around. And then, well, then Stansfield wouldn't have been able to get away with what he did. 
as a as a police officer without putting somebody through you know without arresting somebody he then just comes up from from behind he's like stalking him right he's stalking him quietly but with a gun trained on the back of his head on the back of Leon's head, just pointing it Did at Did you him. notice the juxtaposition too? He almost has like the signature outfit that he wears. As soon as he slips out from the shadows, you immediately recognize yeah. it. You're just like, you son of a bitch. You son of a bitch. Because you realize it's, it's all clear too. And you just think the same thing. You think the same fucking thing. You're like, yeah. Because he didn't tell them why he wanted the whole corridor cleared or whatever. Uh, and how awesome was that cinematography right here? Oh, it's true. Exactly. And the piano, exactly the piece, uh, how it's just like this hopeful tune. And then you see the flash. It's like the first person perspective. Right. From Leon's. And then you just see the flash on the walls in front of him. And then there's the you start to see him. The camera starts to slowly descend to the. it's like, like crumbling down. It gets kind of wobbly and then it kind of descends to the right side. And then you hear the, the there's these like little twinkling keys just. Just like as if he's descending. And it was just it felt so appropriate for the song that had been playing, too. But it's just like it was like here was this hope that was building even with the music. And then to just feel it, what was building, just just completely get that let out. Fucking awesome by the the composer as well of whoever. Oh, yeah. Music. All the music, all of this. Again, the movie is just uh, the, the, the whole is greater than the sum of its parts for sure. So yeah, so there, so there they are. The cinematography again. That cinematography, I, yeah, In- interesting shot because this is the only time it does that first person perspective, and and then our biggest fear is realized. confirmed. Yeah, it's realized <laughs> mm-hmm. because yeah, you see it does the third person view again, and then Leon rolls over and you see the blood coming out of his mouth and everything, and he he's like on his uh, his last leg here, and Stansfield is kind of like admiring his work mm-hmm. standing over him he's just like i fucking got you you piece of shit mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in his last moments his dying breath leon wanted to confirm something so he's like you must be stansfield and he's just like sure am buddy and so that's when he gives him a present right put something in his hand he's like this is from matilda well he holds it too in his trembling dying hand he hold he presses it into his palm and it's almost like awkward He's like really pressing it in there and Stanfield almost like, I don't remember. I think, I think it's like, he does something with his eyebrows kind of like, what the hell? <laughs> like, like I beat you. Why are you holding my hand still? I'm your enemy and you're holding my hand. And like the prolonged dude, I fucking love this shit. So like you, this whole time you're, you can't wait to see what's in his hand. You're like, right. what the fuck did he give him? You know, why is this scene so long? Right. And he's just struggling to get these words out. This is from Matilda. Matilda. He turns his hand over and slowly opens the palm out, and uh-huh. it's the fucking ring trick. But the which ring trick. they didn't explain, but it's the fucking ring trick, and so he right. recognizes it's it's the pin in the ring, and so he's like, "Wait, no, no." Well, he like unzips his vest, right? And and he's just like strapped to the fucking gills with uh, grenades. Grenades. And, <laughs> yep he he has that look of like, ah, oh, shit. <laughs> exactly. I think he, he even me. says that. Checkmate. Yep. He's like, ah, shit. And then yep. boom, just blows out. I thought that shot was great too from like that street on New York. Like it looks like they're across the street from Central Park or something, but then you just see it just push out. You see that all this plume. debris just poof, that plume exactly just poof. 
one pin for all those grenades. That was, that was crazy. That was like his ace in the hole. Like he always had that in his back pocket. Right. He always hoped he never had to use that, but right. it was there just in case. And I, that's why I was saying like in his final moments, like this, this shows you Leon's character in the end before he died, he wanted to make sure that he did right by Matilda and that he, he got back at Stansfield for her. And so mm-hmm. he confirmed, he's like, are you Stansfield? And as right. soon as like, he confirmed it, he's just like, cool. You know, this is for you. Mm-hmm. He got him. Even It was a bittersweet ending, but man, it was satisfying. Truly, truly bittersweet. Yeah, man. I mean, it could end there, but you get to see a little bit of the, it's sort of an epilogue. You see her go to Tony. They're heartbroken. Tony says he's got money for her. And you can just see the guilt on his face. He knows he did wrong by him all his life. And that, you know, he's dead now and can't make it right. So he says he'll always, she'll always be taken care of. But then she's like, I want to, I want to clean. Oh yeah. Right. I want to, I want to clean. And then Tony's like, it's over. He gets just totally emotional and yells at her and she, she, you know, winces and she breaks down crying. Cause it's almost yeah, like, like, I don't have work for a 12 year old girl. Yeah. Yeah. Live a, live a life of a kid, be a kid. But, uh, then she ends up at that, um, sort of, um, orf- orphanage. Yeah. She's uh, she goes back to that school that she got kicked out of. Oh, that's what it is. It, it was okay. a school for troubled teens, I think is what it was. And oh, she, she just like would ditch and she stopped going. So that, that's oh, when I she see. answers like early on and they, they call and say like, Hey, we haven't seen Matilda in quite some time. And she was like, she's dead. <laughs> and oh. just like slams the phone. <laughs> Damn. They were reluctant to take her back. And I think it was because she was problematic before. Mm. I get the sense that she was kind of a troublemaker. And so they were almost relieved to get rid of her. But, you know, she, she's kind of begging them to come back. And then they're like, listen, we are tired of all the lies. Like, we don't even know who you really are. Just tell us the truth. She straight up tells the truth. But I don't think... <laughs> I don't think they actually believe her. You know, I think they almost feel sad for her that she, at least in my opinion, I feel like they think that she's still continuing to come up with this, this big lie. lie. Mm -hmm. At least she gets back in, but yeah, it's, it's actually funny because the audience obviously knows that she's telling the full truth, but summarizing the plot of the movie is pretty ridiculous, you know, out of context, which is maybe why she is willing to reveal it like that as well. So that it's like, you're not going to even believe it. So if I tell you, you're going to still think I'm lying because it's so elaborate. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll show you my hand and you're still not going to believe me. That's half the, that's what makes it so funny too. <laughs> How'd you interpret the, uh, the whole like plant scene at the very end, you know, like the very end of the movie. Cause she's, she was giving Leon a lot of shit for that plant. Cause she was like, so you keep in this pot, but it's never going to be able to grow its roots. Like it's always just going to be stifled. Mm-hmm. And so I think there were, didn't they come up with like some sort of plan that they would eventually want to plant it somewhere and yeah. let it grow its roots. And so she actually kind of fulfills that promise. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's uh, it's a piece of him. It's a piece of them from there, from them being together. And in a way it's like, it's like a, the embodiment of their love. It's, you know, they preserved it. They, t- they cared for it during the time that they were, um, it's symbolic, right? So uh, they, t- they took care of it. She t- and then she picked up the mantle. He passed the baton on to her, basically, and she continued to take care of it. And the fact that now it will endure, it will live on even maybe long after she's gone, too. Hmm. 
Possibly. While they're alive, well, well, while she's alive, she can always go back and visit it, even when she's grown up and everything. It'll it's kind of sad, right? When you you live this lonely life, um, there there isn't much. They didn't. There aren't photos. There is nothing. Like you're not going to have this like proper burial. Um, there's there's mm-hmm. nothing really to even prove that th- this man was real, that this relationship was real, and that's kind of what that plant is. She has nothing of him, you know, and mm. and so at least this is tangible. Like this is something she can actually go back to, and I don't right. know. Maybe if she feels the need to, she can actually talk to it, like she would be talking to Leon, right? And then you have that Sting song come in that I I, I sent you that they had been. Uh, he he did like a he did like a tiny desk concert at the at, at NPR. It's what at least what it looks like, and he did that song, um, "Shape of My Heart." think is what it's called and I, n- I never forgot that as credits start to rise as as the uh, they do like that crane shot and they pull away and you see that she's planting the plant or she's kneeling there at the plant and it's pulling away into the trees and it's just getting further away from her you have this song with those with those very specific, those beautiful strings right those the, the it's like a ni- uh, the nylon guitar nylon string guitar it's just so the, I don't even know the key signature it's in, but it's 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 feel obviously a minor key. It feels sad, you know. He deals the cards as a meditation. It's just ah, oh, it's so good. That is a wrap, folks. If you made yeah. it to the end of our podcast, then you are now a certified cleaner. <laughs> Any final thoughts or closing comments? I would say that to anybody listening to this podcast who. Uh, has not yet seen the movie and now we've given all these spoilers or whatever um i would just say yeah to keep an open mind open heart and uh just be willing to sit with the complexity of this movie uh without without any definitive black or white answer but to live in sort of this gray and to be willing again willing to to do that if you are then then you will appreciate this movie for for what it is how do you feel the movie has aged i feel it's aged very well there's a there's a <laughs> there is more than a, a a tinge of nostalgia in the movie and i do mean that in all it's uh, in all that it implies because um it reminds me so much of when i was young it reminds me of that era of the 90s when this movie was made because it wasn't like a period piece it was very it was of the now it was of that time and so seeing the way that people dressed the way her hairstyle was types of electronics that they used. We talked about the Walkman before that uh, Stansfield had. Uh, those things are, are relics of a bygone era now. And it's funny because they're made new in some sense. I don't know. It would be so cool, I think, to have a cassette tape, a Walkman. And I think cassette tapes have, have made a resurgence. I know that last year, vinyl actually, for the first time in, I don't even know how long, but in 2022, vinyl outsold CDs. Vinyl uh, uh, finds a way. <laughs> Uh, uh, shout out to Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> Love that guy. He's like my spirit animal. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. No, I think it's aged well. I think that it's funny because listening to this podcast. Wow, it's so funny too because we had talked about this for so long. And the professional has been on our list since probably the very beginning. Like this since very even start. before we yeah since even before we started doing the podcast, I think we had talked about it before. And so for us to to reach this point. Yeah, it's uh, 
it's awesome. I hope we did it justice. Yeah, we. I, I hope so too. I really hope so. Um, it just it's. Uh, I'm a I'm a big fan and um, fantastic movie. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, I I think that movies have a way to truly. Re, I don't know. They. We love shows. We love movies. As as humans, it's funny. We spend so much time living vicariously through other people by watching these shows everybody around the water cooler will talk about breaking bad you know or uh um um mad men oh Matt, well you got right mad men again game all, of these, thrones. all these game of thrones thank you there it was um right we so we have these shows that we talk about and these characters that we 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 talk about as well right and we have you know going back to breaking bad and and Mad Men, we have these anti-heroes there's this complexity that draws us it continues to draw us because these people are so flawed as well you can appreciate the complexity of what it is to just be a human the human experience that's why i said before we were different people after we've seen these movies after we've experienced this to the extent that we are open to experiencing these things to the extent that we can sit with whatever uncomfortable feelings arise from traumatic experiences in our past as well. Hence the mindfulness piece, why it's so important to cultivate that. My only thing is go see the extended version or the international version. Yeah, I need to, I need to now. Well, uh, as we wrap things up, is there anything that you're watching that you'd like to recommend? Film or TV? Hmm. You know, I really haven't been watching a whole lot. I've been reading been reading this book called Think Better by Ulrich Lenner, a professor at Notre Dame. And it's really, really interesting. Um yeah, it's just it's about it's like logic. It's uh, it's applying different aspects of philosophy, which is great because I you know having got my degree, having earned my degree in philosophy, there there are themes that he ties together that just um that that answer these kind of age-old questions that I've had or at least lead me in another direction to help me to 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 search for more answers, right? There's no again definitive answer, but it certainly helps me to kind of make connections to things that I I I didn't understand before. So that's been a joy to to read. Is there anything that you're watching? Uh, not not a ton, but what I did watch all the way through was Swarm, which I was telling you about, created by Donald Glover. Mm. Swarm can be watched on Prime Video, so go check it out there. I believe it's a Prime Video original, and uh, it's actually Mm. kind of funny because the way I got into it was there was this clip, I think it was on Instagram, my wife sent it to me and it's like the main character girl interacting with Billie Eilish. It's like you got Donald Glover and Billie Eilish involved in this thing. All right, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Sign me up. Her first act. I mean, she's done music videos, but this is her first like TV Actual show acting. acting gig, yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, she does a great job. I'll, I'll say that much. That little clip that I saw uh, as well that you sent me after you asked me about if I'd seen it. Uh, I was impressed by at least, and I thought the yeah, it was really good. I, I was I was impressed. Afflictionados is available on all of those fancy streaming services you folks like to use. New episodes drop on the first Saturday of each month, five a.m. Pacific. If you enjoy our content, then go ahead and leave us a nice review. It will be much appreciated. Thank you so much to listeners out there for joining Michael and I. This has been Afflictionados podcast episode twenty three. Leon the Professional, and we will see you all next time. Bye.